And I think it's Second Timothy chapter three said that in the last days will be terrible times. Jesus even talked about that in Matthew chapter 24. His disciples asked him, Lord, what's going to happen at the end of the age? And Jesus begins to say some things. He said there'd be a lot of deception and wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and persecution of Christians and sadly apostasy of Christians, increasing wickedness and that the gospel would be preached throughout the whole world. In the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation also mentions many judgments at the end of the age before Jesus returns. And one, one thing that uh, struck me in the book of Revelation is uh, the idea of plagues. This past two years with COVID, it's, it really made an impact on me eschatologically and thinking about the end times. Because it's the first time, certainly in my lifetime, and I think for a long, 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 long time, where something impacted Every nation and every person on earth. I mean, even the so-called world wars, there were plenty of areas that weren't affected by it directly. But COVID affected everyone and impacted them. And then some cities and some nations had vaccine mandates. They required you to have the vaccination to be able to go into certain places and buy and sell, which reminded me of Revelation 13, 16 to 17. and talking about the mark of the beast, that unless you have this mark, you won't be able to buy or sell. And the word buy and sell there is one Greek word, agora, which means the marketplace. You can't go into the marketplace unless you have the mark. Thinking about that and wondering if the vaccine mandate was kind of like a forerunner of a future mark, perhaps some kind of a digital ID, just something to be aware of. But if you ask me, Pastor, are we living in the last days? I would say we could be. We might be. I don't know, of course, but we really could be. And I think we should have a mindset of preparation, though, whether it's mentally, physically, spiritually. We're ready for hard times if they do come. Well, I think about the future a lot, as you could probably tell. And perhaps you do, too. And you may think of it negatively or you may think of it really positively. Get your rose colored glasses on and that's okay. But you're probably thinking about it. So as we're going through the book of James, we're in chapter four today. James talks about the future here. And gives us some guidelines on how we can face the future. Let's look at our text. James four thirteen to 17. James says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. 
James is dealing with how we face the future. And he mentions three mistakes we make. It's as if James was overhearing a conversation in the church between two businessmen. They had a map out on a table and one was saying to the other, hey, I'm going to go into this town. I think there are great business opportunities there. And I'm going to spend a a year there and start a new business and I'm going to make a fortune. What's wrong with that? People make plans every day. These guys were a couple of go-getters. Nothing wrong with planning and goal setting. Nothing wrong with making a profit. So what's wrong, according to James? He mentions three mistakes and a corrective for each of those mistakes. Let's look at that. The first mistake, James says, we plan without God. Verse 13, if if you have your Bibles open or your, your phone app Bible open, verse 13. As you look at that verse, you will notice there's no mention of God with the businessmen. Well, picky, picky. So what? They don't mention God by name, but I'm sure they're thinking about him. Are you sure? Do Christians always bring God into their planning process and decision making? Do you? Can we assume that these men were making this plan with God in mind? I don't think we can assume that. Because our actual words that we say that come out of our mouths show that we do leave God out a lot. We make our plans. We do what we want to do without even thinking or mentioning God. Solzhenitsyn said, men have forgotten God. I think we Christians can be practical atheists. We're not theological atheists. We believe in God. We read our Bibles. We pray. But sometimes we live our lives as though God doesn't exist. We make our plans and carry them out. We do what we want to do. We believe we control our time, our place, our circumstances and the results. So what's the solution to this problem? Put God first in your planning. We see that in verse 15. If you look there, you'll you'll see the word if in that verse. That's a small word, isn't it? If. But it has big importance. It gives us perspective. James says you should say instead, if the Lord wills. Life is one big if. You take the word life and there's a little word in the middle of life. And that word is if. Life is iffy. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We can make an educated guess, but only God knows. So why not bring him in on it? I think a much better prayer is to say, God, what do you want me to do today? Boy, that's a great prayer. Let me show you four examples of the Apostle Paul and how he deals with the future. And he brings God into the decision making process. Acts eighteen twenty one. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. First Corinthians four nineteen. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. First Corinthians 16, seven, for I do not want you to I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits Philippians 224. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will also come. 
So all of those statements, Paul is looking into the future, making his plans. He wants to travel and see certain people. But in every case, he brought the Lord into that decision. If that's God's will, then I will do that. But can't saying if the Lord wills just become an empty cliche. Well, of course it can, but it doesn't have to. Just like we end every prayer in Jesus name that, that can become trivial, but it doesn't have to. Communion can become an empty ritual, but it doesn't have to. So saying if the Lord wills conveys meaning. It's saying that my life is not my own. I don't set the future. God does. Our words remind us of that truth. God's in control, not us. For hundreds of years, the early Christians would sign their name on the end of a letter and write the initials DV, Latin for Dio Valente, meaning Lord willing. And that ought to be our response as well. Proverbs 16:1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So I encourage you to stop praying, God bless my plans. Just rubber stamp what I want and intend to do. And instead pray, God, help me to do what you're blessing. Because God is at work around you locally, globally and in your life. So join him in what he's already doing. Not my will, but yours, Lord, be done. Planning without God is a huge mistake. And Christians get that wrong all the time. Put God first in your planning. Here's a second mistake James says we Christians make. We presume about tomorrow. We presume about tomorrow. We see that in verses 14 and 16. We presume about tomorrow, then we boast about our presumptions. We take it for granted that everything's going to go well, just like it always has in the past. James cites several reasons why we shouldn't presume on tomorrow. The first is, under letter A, life is unpredictable. Life is unpredictable. James says, you do not know. That's the truth. We don't know what's going to happen an hour from now, much less a year from now. He usually doesn't reveal the future. God usually doesn't tell you, here's what I'm going to do in the future. He doesn't give you a blueprint. We can guess, but we don't know. A nuclear war could start. I would have said three or four months ago, that's unthinkable. That's unimaginable. No one would do that. Now people are talking about it in various countries. The conversation is going on and it's using those words. The economy could crash. We're printing money like no tomorrow in this country. Thirty one trillion plus in debt. Debt always has to be paid some way, somehow, or there's a crash. You see the petrodollar being devalued. An earthquake could hit. The new Madrid quake in the middle of the country is overdue. San Andreas Fault, pressure building on that in California. The Cascadia subduction zone off the northwest coast of Washington and Oregon is like 70 years past when it regularly erupts. We don't know. 
Think for a moment if God moved, removed his hand of protection from your life or from this country. What if God stopped being gracious? We'd be doomed. We're one pink slip away from real hardship. One slip on the ice away from a wheelchair. There's no guarantee of perpetual success. I've been successful in the past. I'll always be successful. Now, I, I don't say this to frighten you. And I don't say this to cause you to worry. I say it because it's the truth of God's word. And I want it to deepen your trust in God. Here's the second thing James says about this. Life is brief. The letter B. Life is brief. He says you are a mist. As the song said, you're a vapor. And the word there is atmos. Like atmosphere. It's kind of like the fog that rolls in overnight. But it burns away from the sun by 9 a.m. It's there. It's really hard to see. But then it's. Totally gone so quickly. Who knows how long they have? My grandfather, when he was 18 years old, got very ill and he prayed a prayer, said, Lord, let me live to be 19. I don't know why he didn't say longer. God let him live to be 99. And my dad, who is 91, said, man, when you're going through school, time goes so slow. But after school, time just flies by. And I found that to be true, too. The Bible uses words like mist, leaf, grass, dirt, shadow, cloud, vapor to describe our life. We're a heartbeat away from eternity. We, we go from hot wheels to wheelchairs. We, we go from pampers to depends in the blink of an eye. Here's a true story. Of a man in France who at age 47 made a real estate deal. I guess it was common in that day. He agreed to pay Jean Calment, age 90, $500 a month for the right to buy her house when she died. That was a common practice, as I said. 30 years later, he died after paying her $184,000 and never lived in her house. He died at 77. She died at age 122. She was actually in the Guinness Book of World Records. That man presumed on tomorrow. And tomorrows aren't guaranteed. Isaiah 56.12 says, Come, they say, let me get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink. And, and tomorrow will be like this day. Great beyond measure. I think when we're young, we think like that. Life is great. Life's a big party. Let's get drunk. I'm invincible. I'm immortal. I'm going to live a long time. We can't presume that we're going to live to be 122 or 72 or even 22. Proverbs 27 one says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And Jesus echoed that same sentiment in the Sermon on the Mount. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. I think there's patterns of presumption. And see if you can identify with this. When you're first saved, you're embarrassed. 
almost by God's grace. You're blown away. It's so amazing that God would take you, a sinner, who, who spit it on God, just ignore God, could care anything less about God, and, but he forgives all your sins. He, you enter into a relationship with him, and it's so wonderful, and he blesses you so much. And as you mature, you begin to understand God's ways, and his nature is to give, to be gracious and, and understanding and long-suffering and forgiving. But then eventually, we become accustomed to God's grace. It's like the boss who gives you a $500 Christmas bonus. The next year, he gives it again. By year three, you've already spent it. By year four, you're wondering why your cheapskate boss doesn't give you a $1,000 bonus. Eventually, we become entitled to it, to God's grace. He better give me his grace. After all I do for him, he owes me a good life. And then we're shocked when something bad happens. You know what that is? That's presumption, James says. And I think we all get into that phase of presumption. So what's the solution? Live one day at a time. Live one day at a time. Matthew 634, and this is the Living Bible Translation. So don't be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of your tomorrow, too. Live one day at a time. You know what? That's more than just a catchy country western song title. God says, I'm only asking you to face the future in 24 hour segments. Because I know that's all you can handle. Proverbs, Psalm 31, 5, 15 rather. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. My times are in your hand, Lord. I put tomorrow in your hands. I don't know what tomorrow holds. It could be great, just like today. It could, my whole life could be turned upside down tomorrow. I don't know. But you do know, Lord. So I put myself in your hands. And so I'm just going to live today. This is the day that you've given me. I'm going to live it to my best. I'm going to live it wholeheartedly. Brings us to the third mistake. That we Christians make about the future. We put off doing good. We put off doing good. We see that in verse 17. I would call this the sin of omission. Or simply procrastination. Someone said procrastination is my sin. It's only caused me sorrow. I know I should change my ways. And in fact, I will. Tomorrow. In Luke 14, a man can't accept Jesus's invitation to come and follow him because he has to survey some new property he bought. And another man has to test some new oxen that he purchased. And another guy says, hey, I just got married. We can't come now, Lord. We can't do what you're calling us to do because we're really busy right now. But we'll come later. So, you know what? I can face the future by doing nothing. I, I can just kind of sit back and, and let life carry me along like, like I'm in a canoe on a stream and I'm just drifting along into my future. I can sin by ignoring God and his will. God shows us that we should be doing something and we put it off. It's a subtle trap. I don't feel like witnessing to my friend today or that guy at work today because I have tomorrow to witness to him. 
I remember something John Maxwell, who was a pastor, said. Somebody he knew was in the hospital. He knew this man was unsaved. And it was a real burden on his heart. Go visit that man in the hospital. He, he's pretty bad off. And share me with him. But he didn't do it. He put it off. He said, well, I'm busy today. I'll go tomorrow or the next day. And John Maxwell said, that guy died. Now, I don't know if somebody else, a nurse, a doctor, somebody else came and shared Christ with him. But John Maxwell didn't know that either. He just know he knew that he was supposed to go share the gospel with this man. And he didn't. And he went into eternity. We don't always have tomorrow. So what's the solution? Do it now. Proverbs three twenty seven and 8. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you. If someone needs help, help them today. Don't procrastinate. There are times to act now. It's always the right time to do good. In Exodus 14, the Jews were standing beside the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army was bearing down on them. They cried out to Moses, who cried out to God, and God said, Stand still, and you will see the salvation of the Lord. And then, in the next breath, God says, What are you still doing standing there? Go forward. Move on. Step out into the waters, and the Red Sea parted. Move on. Do it. Do it now. Do it today. There are three things that you can do with your life. You can waste it, you can spend it, and you can invest it. Lots of ways to waste your life. You can spend it on more and more stuff. Or you can invest it in eternal things. Missionary Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. So what lasts forever? God and people. That's where we need to put our investment in. Our investment of time and money. Spend much time there. We worry about duration, how long we have. God worries about donation, what we do with what we've been given. A short life can be much more impactful than a long life for the person who just sits on the couch watching TV. Am I making my life count? Am I making a difference in my world? Or am I just kind of frittering it away? Matthew 25, Jesus tells a, a parable on judgment. And amazingly, it's judgment on omission, sins of omission. We always think about sins of commission, what we actively do to sin against God. But there's sins of omission, and that's what the judgment in Matthew 25 is about. They, they were judged on what they failed to do. Here's a case study. Luke 12, 16 to 21. Look at the text. And he, Jesus, told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. 
I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This man made the three mistakes that James says you shouldn't make. He planned without God. No mention of God in this. Lord, is this your will that I expand my business, build more barns? In fact, the word I or my is used ten times just in those few verses. God's name, zero. He presumed on tomorrow. You know, I'll just sit back and eat, drink and be merry. Life is great. And he put off doing good with the prophet. He, he envisioned it all for himself. He thought he'd cash in his crops, but instead he cashed in his life. The Daily Bread on February 9th told a story of Roman generals. When they won a great victory, they'd be paraded through the city. And with the general who was enjoying the accolades of all the people was a simple servant, probably a slave who followed along, whispering in his ear all day long. Memento Mori. Remember, you will die. So I invite you today to give your life to Christ if you haven't. Not because you might die tonight, but because you could really live today and forever. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, today is the day of salvation. Paul told Felix that in Acts 24, 25. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Well, you know what? He never got another opportunity. He never saw Paul again. So today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. What are your plans for the future? Do you feel like you've kind of got it all figured out? Have you taken God's will into consideration? Have you taken tomorrow for granted? Do the right thing today. Last question. Are you totally available to God? All right, let's pray. If you bow your head and close your eyes. I want to ask that question. If there's anyone here this morning that needs to make a profession of faith, you need to put your trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. You've not done that before, but you're ready to do that now. You just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Anybody need to make that declaration today? Give you this opportunity. Okay. Lord, I thank you for... James, the inspired writer of Scripture, who has given us some, some good truth to, to wrap our brains around and to build our lives on, as it were, and how we will face the future. Let, let us put this word into practice in our lives. Help us each day that when we wake up, this is the day you've made, Lord. You're just asking me to live today for you. And so I'll do that. 
I'll put my feet on the ground, give you thanks and praise. And Lord, use me today. Use us today, Lord, to accomplish your will. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.